This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right. Hi. Uh, I know I'm supposed to be uh, really happy about Long Island Railroad going to Grand Central Station. I personally love Penn Station. I associate so many wonderful memories with Penn Station. I really do. I took the railroad in, uh, I think I was in fourth grade. I remember taking it in by myself. I even changed at Jamaica by myself. How old are you in fourth grade? 10, 11? And uh, came all the way into the city to meet my dad at Penn Station. And I meet him right at the information booth. There was an information booth, not the one, not the table they have now, the counter they have now, but there was like a, there was a, a, a kiosk, a round a kiosk, and the guy sat in the middle of it, and I think it had a little roof. It was in the middle. It was in the middle of the thing. You know when you have that that big, if you're looking at that big board with all the destinations, with all the lines, the big, big, big board, if you're looking at that. It's to, it was to your right. It's not there anymore. I, I think about it every time I go by there. I know it's dumpy. I know it looks kind of like, uh, I, I've said it before, it looks like Rikers Island in there. It has the charm and ambiance of, uh, of a medium security prison. Uh, but I associate great memories with it. And I also loved going across the street to Chinatown Express restaurant, sit on the second uh, floor there and... That's when I found out about sweet and sour pork. And my dad, he was working as a lieutenant at Public Morals, which was only a couple of blocks away. So, um, and quite frankly, uh, Grand Central Station, Grand Central Terminal, I don't know. In its own weird way, I think it lacks personality. I, I, I just, I always felt like it, it's not very New York somehow. It doesn't feel like New York. I know it's New York. I know it's, heck, is it? Older than Penn Station. So anyway, executive producer Rich Radabali, it opened today and you were on it. You took the train from Baldwin. Usually you go to Penn Station, right? Yes. Good afternoon, Greg. How are you? How are you? I am excellent. I am excellent. I did take the train. The train actually they're running shuttle trains right now from Jamaica right to Grand Central, directly to Grand Central. So it was took me fifteen minutes to get from Jamaica to Grand Central. Hey, number one. We've got a headline here. Your voice sounds totally different on the radio. Does it? <laughs> I put on my radio voice? Yeah, I mean, you sound like, I mean, dude, what, what? That's a Sorry. magnificent voice. Thank you. Thank you. I'm working on it. I'm trying to be like you. Talk talk the way you do normally around this place. All right. I'll talk like this. No. Anyway, I guess. All right. Listen. Yes. So, so I, it's good. So, hey, what is a shuttle train? What do you mean a shuttle train? Well, it's running directly from... Jamaica, they're not running like trains like from my stop in Baldwin to Grand Central. No, but, yet. I mean, they're running from Jamaica directly. One, you know, like the shuttle trains here, they're just from Jamaica s- right to Grand Central. Well, I mean, wait a second. I changed at Jamaica before, and that was basically we all changed at Jamaica, and, you, and then and then you go to Penn Station. I don't think there's any other stop after Jamaica, or maybe there is Woodside or something like right. that. Right, Woodside. There's uh, Forest Hills, Kew Gardens. It doesn't always stop at those places, so right. it's not a big deal that it's going. So it's going direct to. Uh, it's going direct to Grand Central. And what's it like when you get out? Where does it let you out? It lets 
it's a vast complex under there. I got out of the train, and there were like 800 exits. And I got out, and it was just trying to find my way out. It took me, I was telling everybody, it took me longer to get from the train to the street than it did to get from the street to the studios here. I got out right here at 47th and Lexington Avenue. So you didn't even see the nice part of Grand Central? I don't think I saw all of it. I saw a nice little portion, very beautiful. I mean, modern, brand new, very clean, does cops it, everywhere. It smells new? Does it Sm- have that yeah. new, new smell? <laughs> yes, it does, actually. It, re- it does. Uh, so it's, that'll, it's that'll, really that'll, nice. Light, brightly lit, hmm. you know, plenty of signage letting you know what's going on, where to go. Uh, so All right. Uh, well, I, I guess I should check it out. It's free, yes. right? No, you got to buy a ticket. Otherwise, I can go down there. Yeah, I mean, you could walk in there, you know. But right now, they're just, you know, it's not like I don't think it's twenty four hours yet. Wait no. a second, you got out at Forty Seventh Street. Terminal's at Forty Second Street. It's right. that big, huh? It's, that's what I'm saying. It's huge, and I didn't even see it where I got out. The exit said you could get out at Forty Sixth through Forty Eighth Street, and now, so yeah, I mean, I have, I haven't even scratched the surface. Well, yet. it huge. is a major game changer because you're coming from Baldwin, my hometown, and. Let's face it, for you, Penn Station is like, oh, just think about it. We're in Midtown East. It's just like, oh, you got to go all the way over and down a bit. It, it, it was worse for guys who worked at Channel 5 on the Upper East Side to go all the way down and over, or all the way over and down, however you wanted to do it. This is a dream. This actually happened. This is, uh, this is really nice. So your life, do you feel better? Absolutely. I love it. Was I can't. I, I'll do it every day. Was it worth sixty billion dollars? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> Were you any earlier? Because you know you, that's a bit of an issue with you. I was actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying, I hear. That's don't tell I, anybody. I'm only kidding. No, you're very um, punctual. Actually, it it works out. The train gets in to Grand Central about five minutes later, but because it's so much closer here, I just you know it's a five minute walk. So right. it's All great. Right. Hey, did they have a ceremony or anything like that? They, I don't think they did. They did. They did. Governor Hochul, well, we could find, uh, oh, I can see if I can find she it. Governor Hochul his... rode the train to Grand Central, the first is, train, I guess. That's so typical of them, right? She had absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with this thing. Nothing. And she rides the train in. Cuts the ribbon, probably, huh? Right. Ah, uh, ah, uh, sick of her. I even forgot about her, but she's still the governor. And the word is uh, she is vulnerable to impeachment, to investigation, because of all the shenanigans going on upstate. All right, so uh, who do we thank? I mean, the construction guys who built that thing, uh, it took them a very long time, not their fault. Uh, who do we thank? Who do we, Who genuinely is responsible for that? Uh, yeah, I would say the, all the construction guys and whoever got it rolling in the first place. I mean, right, you said this goes back when? They've been talking about it for 30 years. I think even, even earlier. I think it's been – and as a matter of fact, in one of my favorite movies, Nighthawks with Sylvester Stallone, there's that scene where they're running in um, – Rugger Hauer, Wolfgar, runs out of the discotheque, and he runs into a tunnel that they're still building and clearing, and that is the extension. That's the extension right there. And that movie came out in, like, 1980, 81. Love that movie. Uh, isn't it great? Yeah. I know. And no one ever talks about it. Sylvester Stallone and uh, Billy D. Williams, good stuff. All right. Well, anyway, welcome to work. And uh, Thank you. <laughs> th- thanks, pal. Um what else is going on? Uh, I'm never going to take that train, realistically speaking. I live in the city now. I live in the city. Um, we had a debate about that. I kind of wanted to get out of the city. But uh, the wife, the missus, you know, these are joint decisions now. Isn't that great? <laughs> no, it is great. It is great. And uh, uh, we're going to be here for the time being. I mean, hey, who could leave with the mayor like this? Cut one. People are sleeping on the streets. 
in El Paso. They're sleeping in airports. I spoke to my colleague in Chicago. People are sleeping in the basement of libraries. Okay. And uh, I think he's asking for uh, help from the government. Is that it? He wants help from the government. Cut two. We opened 77 emergency hotels for Hercs during a crisis. We are in a crisis. And the federal government must have a national response to this crisis. They have not. No kidding. Uh, This is what he does. This is all he knows how to do is say stuff on the steps of City Hall. That's all he does. He complains. He asks for money from other sources. He has a hell of a lot of resources himself, and he could be a bit more creative than putting him in these, uh, these hotels at exorbitant rates. But he's not much of an administrator. In fact, he's no administrator. His political instincts are uh, terrible. Well, wait a second. He became the mayor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally corrupt election. <laughs> Ranked choice voting. Last day in June. Last day of school, Last that's when the primary day is. He was the black guy with name recognition. That's it. Presto change 140,000 people or whatever voted for him. And in the city of 8 million, this clown, this clown is the uh, is the mayor. Oh, well. Uh, what else? Hey, the Mike Pence thing. Um, some Republicans I know, I don't know if they're rhinos. Are they rhinos? I, they They have a big soft spot for Mike Pence. I do not have that same soft spot for Mike Pence. I do not. The guy has been a a big phony all along. I mean, this is where I noticed it. All right. First of all, Mike Pence knew classified documents found in his house. He's doing the right thing by owning up to it and writing a letter his lawyer did to the National Archives. And he wants to do the right thing here. That's what Mike wants to do. He always wants to do the, the right thing. Huh? Well, the right thing would have been to do is uh, tell everybody ahead of time that you were just going to rubber stamp the election results on January 6th because you hinted that you weren't. You hinted because you wanted to maintain your uh, popularity with MAGA two days before January 6th. You stirred up the crowd hinting that you were going to do something interesting, creative and legal under our interpretation of the Electoral Count Act of 1887 and the United States Constitution, Mike Pence, the vice president, had discretion. And he seemed to be encouraging that notion. Cut 28, please. Cut 28. I know we all, we all got our doubts about the last election. And I want to assure you, I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularities. And I promise you, come this Wednesday... We'll have our day in Congress. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. And the crowd went wild. We all have doubts about the election. And come Wednesday, we'll hear those. We'll hear the objections. We'll debate. Well, he could have just said what he knew. You heard how those people got excited. And I was thinking, wow, maybe he's really, you know, he's going to send these votes back to the uh, to the state capitol saying, you guys got to figure this out because we're hearing all kinds of things about these votes. Instead, he kept it to himself. And this is from his own book, his memoir, the audio book. Sometimes I think these guys put this stuff out and they put this stuff in there thinking no one's ever going to read it. Well, I read it. I listened to it. Here we go. Cut 29. Mike Pence knows he's not coming to anybody's rescue. As our motorcade arrived at the east front of the Capitol, 
I saw thousands of protesters standing peacefully on the East Lawn, just past a rope line opposite the entrance of the Senate. My heart went out to them. I felt compassion for all the good people who had come to our nation's capital having been told that the outcome of the election could be changed. They were cheering as our suburban wheeled into the carriage entrance beneath the Senate steps. I turned to my daughter and said with a sigh, God bless those people. They're going to be so disappointed. How about that, huh? They're going to be so disappointed because he's not going to take the action that we thought he could and should have taken. Why are they going to be so disappointed? Because you fake them out. Again, two days prior, listen to, listen to Mike Pence in Georgia. This is January 4th, two days before the 6th, stirring up the crowd. I want to hear that again and hear these poor people taking the bait. Cut 29. As our motorcade arrived at the east front of the Capitol. Oh, stop. I'm sorry. Wait, saw- wait, wait, wait. Cut 28. Cut 28. I know we all, we all got our doubts about the last election. And I want to assure you. I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularities. And I promise you, come this Wednesday, we'll have our day in Congress. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. Now, maybe some of those people who are uh, cheering, yelling and screaming happily, they they went to Washington because Mike Pence fired them up. Now, I heard those comments and I thought maybe he'll do something, but he seems to be hedging a little bit. It's talking about, we'll hear the objections. Like, I know you can hear the objections, but it really was about what are you going to do about it? So Mike Pence, right? And uh, the swamp suddenly likes a conservative Republican because he did the right thing on January 6th. Well, he didn't do the right thing on January 6th. He set up Donald Trump as well. You know, everybody says, oh, uh, Donald Trump didn't do anything on January 6th. He was negligent, criminally negligent. Uh, What was he supposed to do? And if it was so bad, don't you think his national security team should have called him instead of complaining about him and talking about him behind his back? Like you, Mike Pence, cut 30. Over the course of several hours, you spoke with the acting defense secretary. You spoke with the joint chiefs of staff, General Milley. I did. You spoke with the acting attorney general, Jeff Rosen, with the chief of Capitol Police. Where was the president in all this? David, I was at the Capitol. I wasn't at the White House. And when you learned later that he was watching all this unfold on TV? I can't. I can't account for what the president was doing that day. I was at a loading dock in the Capitol where a riot was taking place. But why wasn't he making these calls? Um, that'd be a good question for him. Notice the hesitation. And oh, by the way, I had somebody call in last week who told me, watch his feet during that interview. And she was right, tapping away, moving his foot, fidgety, fidgety. Uh, I don't trust that man, and for good reason, okay? He lied to a lot of people. He misled a lot of people. The president um, and you and me. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Oh, man, that is funny. It's fascinating. I know you can't see it, but I'm telling you, he's tapping his foot. I'm so grateful to that woman who called last week. Uh, I don't think I would have noticed it, but there are two things here. When he when he, when he he denies the secrets, uh, let's see here. Where is that thing where he says, and he stutters a little bit. I played this yesterday. I think I played this yesterday. Uh, 
then he becomes so, you know, so arrogant about it. Where we go here? Uh, cut 23. Cut 23. Did you take any classified documents with you from the White House? Uh, I, I, I did not. Uh, I, I, I did not. And he's nodding his head. Yes. He's nodding his head. Yes. As he's saying no. Interesting, right? Uh, I had a body language expert. I showed a body language expert last night. And that, that's easy. You can look it up. And Wikipedia will tell you that. Uh, but they had her on TV saying this. Cut 24, please. We're looking for when the body doesn't match the words. One of my favorite line cues is a mismatched nod. This works really well. When oh. someone says yes, but shakes their head. Wow. No. Wow. Okay, easy does it, Tiger. Okay, wow. Um. Cut 20. Now, let's see. Next. And this is where his foot starts going crazy. His foot is tapping and shifting all over the place. So last night, I, I drew a little circle around it. And I just put it up on my Twitter, at Greg Kelly USA. And I zoom in on his foot. When he's asked this question, cut 25, please. Do you see any reason for anyone to take classified documents with them leaving the White House? Well, there'd be no reason to have classified documents, particularly if they were in an unprotected area. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The foot moving like crazy. It's, it's, I think the guy's deceptive. I really do. Uh, and he's so self-righteous. Now, here's, as we get further and further away from August, when, when President Trump's uh, uh, Mar-a-Lago was raided, August 8th of 2022. I'll never forget that, by the way. I really felt like the country had fundamentally changed in a moment. One of my producers came in and said, the FBI just raided Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago. And I just like, everything stood still for a second. I'm like, it just seems so weird. Anyway, uh, all right, there's the music. Wait, do I have time for this? Mike Pence saying that, uh, oh, I never would have done something like that. We had a process. Uh, cut, uh, cut 26. Hit it. Clearly in the waning days of the Trump-Pence administration, that process was not properly executed by staff around the president of the United States. Yeah, but he said his staff took care of it, not the president's, but his mic, because pious mic is so good. I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Um... Uh, Joe Biden came out this morning and announced we're sending 31 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. Ah, goodness gracious. I mean, if this was such a good idea, why didn't we do it a year ago? I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, those Abrams tanks are pretty amazing pieces of gear. Um, they, it takes about three gallons of gas to make them go one mile. <laughs> okay, they just, it's amazing now. You know, gas guzzlers. Uh, I just heard a military expert say it's not going to make any difference. That's not enough tanks. Uh, I wonder. I wonder. I don't know. Uh, then I heard Joe Biden refer to the secretary of the military, General Austin. 
the secretary of the military. General, is that something like a like a sixth grader might say? Maybe if I would have gotten that right, I knew who was the who was the secretary of defense when I was in sixth grade. I think it was uh, Casper Weinberger. I knew what the Department of Defense was, the Pentagon, <laughs> secretary of the military, run by the guy who does that outfit over there. Uh, uh, the general, it, he can often he forgets uh, General Austin's name. It's kind of sad. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of sick of Ukraine, to be honest. I want there to be peace. I want there to be. I'm sick of Russia. I'm sick of war. I hate war. I want there to be peace. Why isn't anyone talking about peace? This seems escalatory. This also seems to me. Uh, look, I happen to know our military. It's not up and running. We're vulnerable. Our military is sliding fast. And a big component of it is, yep, this DEI crap, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You got the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff worrying about uh, white rage. I want to know about white rage. And I'm white. And I want to understand it. Oh, gosh, that was the most sickening, obsequious display. And that kind of leadership infects the entire military. I was in the military when we had to go through, um, uh, what was it, uh, sexual harassment training. And that became kind of burdensome as well. Uh, what happened was there was a big scandal, a big um, convention in Las Vegas. They called it the Tailhook Convention. Uh, the tailhookers, guys who could land on aircraft carriers with hooks like me. I'm actually in that association, the Tailhook Association. At least I was at one time. I don't remember if I, re- you know, I, those things kind of lapse every now and then. But they had a great big convention in Las Vegas. This is in 1991. I was not there. I was on the other side of the country. In fact, I wasn't even a tailhooker at that point. I didn't know anything. Um, and a couple of women, unfortunately, were groped. And it was unfair. Sometimes it was a bit of a gray area. I think her name was Paula. There was a... Lieutenant Paula, somebody, was in the middle of it. And there are plenty of pictures of her kind of like, you know, partying down with the fellas and having a great old time. But it does seem like uh, they behaved. They were out of line. And there may have been some harassment. I don't think there was assault. And that's obviously a crime. It must be pursued. But the military freaked out. Uh, The Secretary of the Navy lost his job. The Chief of Naval Operations lost their job. Uh, it's pretty pretty well. A couple of guys got rowdy in Las Vegas, and uh, heads are rolling at the Pentagon. That's the way it goes, I guess. But they gave us sexual harassment training, which was actually very good training. It was like state of the art stuff. I've always, I've always known the rules, actually, and uh, in part thanks to the military. Also, in part, common sense and stuff like that, right? And you know, your your morals. And speaking of which. <laughs> It's 25 years ago right now. I think we talked about it. Did I mention this yesterday? 25 years ago that the Monica Lewinsky thing was going down. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I did not tell anybody a lie, not a single time. Well, I think I said I was one of the jerks who was uh, defending that. And the whole damn society kind of defended it. Remember, right? The New York Times, all the elites said this is okay. And it's just those uh, squares on the right who are uptight about this, right? Remember? Well, uh, here we are now, and I have avoided the T.J. Holmes, Amy Rohrbach story for the most part, but I'm going to weigh in right now. 
because they are now abusing this uh, T.J. Holmes guy. And I think it's time to lay off. I mean, really, let's get a little bit real here. So T.J. Holmes and Amy Rohrbach are having, uh, they're both married to other people, an extramarital affair. And I guess it's kind of newsworthy because, first of all, that's wrong. You know what I mean? But uh, look, half of all marriages, I'm told, end in divorce. And half of those marriages, infidelity leads to the divorce. I'm not excusing infidelity. I'm just saying it happens, right? I mean, when did we all become a bunch of Puritans and pilgrims and so judgmental? And the didn't they write a book about that, the Scarlet Letter? Who wrote that book, right? And how that community got totally... Uh, carried away. Hester Prynne was her name, and she, I think it was a false accusation. Did she really hook up with that dude? With I don't know, but they made her wear that letter, the adulteress, everywhere she went. And the whole kind of, uh, I think the takeaway from that book is there's a lot of hypocrisy in that town and a lot of judging going on, and judgment is the Lord's, right? So uh, that brings us to uh, these two characters, uh, TJ, and I was avoiding the issue and then a couple of things happened. First of all, who the hell knows who they are? Nobody. The GMA3 show. I saw it once at Westchester County Airport for two minutes, and I never saw it again. Never thought about it again until this thing happened. The only thing I knew about Amy Ro- uh, Amy Rohrbach was married to Andrew Shue. T.J. Holmes, don't know him, never met him. Very sharp dresser. Oh, actually, I take that back. I did see him in the street once, and I said hi. It's a few years ago, and on Twitter it says he that he wanted to be the next governor of Arkansas, and I said something to him about that. Hey, are you serious about that? Uh, anyway, uh, so he hooks up with Amy Rohrbach. Amy Rohrbach hooks up with him. They're both peers, right? They're peers. They're the same level, and I'm sorry, but the New York Post, it's a great newspaper in many ways, but they're writing every little detail about this, and now they're out for blood with T.J. Holmes. And the thing that kind of gets me on this story is, well, T.J. should not have been doing this stuff, but a lot of this stuff predates the Me Too movement. It does. And in 2015, 2014, you know, if Bill Clinton could do what he did with that girl in that office and remain in power, and everybody calling those who uh, raise questions about it squares, you know, so unhip. Fast forward to T.J. Holmes. Let's see here. Allegedly, he fooled around with some person who works at ABC News. Hey, I heard a rumor once that um, workplace romances happen. I just, I, I heard that somewhere. I also heard, and I've seen the statistics, that unfortunately infidelity is a thing. But here's what I'm leaving out. It's the power differential. Because, after all, T.J. Holmes was so much older I mean, he was 35 years old, and this young woman, this young woman was only 30, 24, 24. And after the hookup, she was said to be confused and uncomfortable by what happened. Confused and uncomfortable, how exactly? And she was also traumatized by the power differential. What power does T.J. Holmes have? They tell him what to say. They put, a, they put it in the prompter. He reads it. I've watched him since. That's what he does. He reads words. I'll guarantee you something. T.J. Holmes never hired anybody and never fired anybody at ABC News. Here's a little thing. Um, Not at all networks, but at some. 
management resents the hell out of people on the air. They do. People on the air get, they think, more attention. Sometimes they get more money. They, they hate that stuff. So they get to hire and fire, and you know they make the big, important decisions, and you just show up and read. That's the way it works at some networks. Not all, but some. So what power did T.J. Holmes have? He's, he's older. Is 11 years? Is that the most criminal? That's not a criminal gap. And a 24-year-old woman, I'm sorry, she knows what's, up, what's what. Right? I felt so uncomfortable. Here's the deal. These, I'll say it, young women in the workplace, they're the ones who have the power. Okay? They have power. If they feel at all slighted, at all uh, insulted, at all, I mean, if you look at them the wrong way, you know, right? That's that's the way it is. It's true. And after she hooked up or he hooked up, whatever, after they hooked up, she had all the power. And she's using it now. I guess she's speaking her truth. Kind of, I, 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 there's a lot of hypocrisy in that stuff. I just, I don't like it. I don't like it. I wish him the best. I, I wish everybody, I want everybody to be happy and everybody not to be harmed or whatever. But I, I think the post should back the hell off. Nine years ago, T.J. Holmes hooked up in an office. No one's alleging that it wasn't consensual, by the way. Yes, but the power differential, the power differential. Now, that is a joke. A hot young woman has all the power in the world these days. All the power. Perhaps I'm being... uh... Perhaps I'm being a little insensitive. I don't know. That's the way I feel. Joseph in Fairfield, Connecticut. Yes, hello. Hello, uh, Mr. Kelly, Colonel Kelly. Um, concerning Michael Pence, uh, Mike Pence, is it uh, is it possible that he might be setting this up to go against Trump? Because as vice president, he took those documents. But he also asked his lawyer to go search them at his house and to get them. And that's what Biden did when he was vice president. So this might might uh, might be an effort to mollify what Biden did when he was vice president. I'm just uh, speculating. No, it's an interesting point. It mitigates potentially a by a microscopically it mitigates the problem for Biden. It mitigates it somewhat. And now Jimmy Carter has come out and said, "I took documents that I didn't know about." And now Time Magazine and the Associated Press they're writing stories that it actually happens all the time. It's a very common occurrence. And I was watching the fake news. They were saying the same thing. Let's see here. It's um, it's systemic, these problems. It happens all the time, these things. Okay, where is that, by the way? I have the media saying that. Where is that? Uh, fake news. Here we go. Uh, cut 36, please. Cut 36. There's clearly some kind of larger problem here. I've covered the intelligence community. There is a systemic problem. This is no longer a Republican or a Democratic problem. Oh. But when it was Trump, what were they saying? Cut 34. The former president is in hot water after the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago. I think it's Trump being back in the news is a threat to U.S. national security. The sense I have is that the case against Trump for intentionally mishandling classified information is even stronger than the case against Hillary Clinton. What we saw in the unredacted portions was not just probable cause, but overwhelming evidence of three serious federal crimes. Wow. Wow. And they've been warming up. Mike Pence and Joe Biden. There are some Democrats who are actually, you know, 
actually thinking that this is a big deal. But there's still the knee jerk. The muscle memory of the swamp is to defend Biden and Pence in their in their eyes is something of a good guy. Thanks to January 6th. Cut 22. Did you take any? No, 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 not that one. Not that one. Sorry. Where the hell is the other one? Did I miss that? Uh, ah, cut 35. Cut 35. I believe that both uh, Joe Biden and Mike Pence, whatever they did here was unintentional and probably accidental. Here, it appears that former Vice President Pence uh, and President Biden have been fully cooperative. But Joseph, did you say something about Pence running for president? Because I'll tell you what, that ain't happening. He's finished. He is finished. And it's not the documents. It's the hypocrisy. And it's stabbing Trump in the back, in the front, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And you and I, I agree with you on that. We go way back on that one. I know, me too. Larry in St. James, what's up? Hello, Greg. Great show. Are you aware there's two versions of Nighthawks? The movie? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, 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 wait. There is a version that where the Rolling Stones song Brown Sugar is in the disco scene. And in later versions, I noticed they took that out because I guess they had a, the Rolling Stones had beef with it and they put some lame song in. Is that the difference? That's it. That's the difference. <laughs> You're right on. I'm, uh, I thought there would be something else, but yeah, it's very disappointing. I remember. And by the way, I think most of the versions now have the Brown Sugar version in it. But the even better song is the one that comes up after it. The I'm a Man Keith Emerson version is um, is, is is really cool. It's funny. People went out to the nightclubs in 1980. You know, you think and people are like 60, 70, 80 years old. We're totally cool and going to the clubs. The youth, they think they're so special. They think they'll never get you know, older. Notice that, Larry? They're so arrogant, stuck on themselves. And I notice this, and I know every generation complains about, you know, each other. But I noticed that 20-somethings take a lot of pride in not knowing things. They're like, that was from before I'm born. Why would I know that? Or like, or they'll throw shade at me because I know something and that, that somehow it conveys that I'm older. Well, most of my favorite movies were made before I was even born. So I don't know. I don't like that, Larry. I, I'm impressed that you, uh, you called in. How's everything else going? Oh, fine. Uh, just like to... Uh... Also make an honorable mention to a great Marine, my wife's cousin, Colonel Donald Cook. Any I don't partic- know if you're familiar with the name. I'm not, but, uh, but any particular, uh, why him, why now? Uh, just a chance to uh, get the name out. All right, I love it, Colonel Donald Cook. Usually you're calling about, uh, you're the congestion pricing guy, right? Take it back from Nam. Oh, don't say Nam. Nobody says Nam. All right? Say Vietnam. It's Vietnam. Trust me. Vietnam. No, Larry, thank you very much. Tell me one more thing about this guy, and then I got to go. He was a linguist expert. Uh, There's a destroyer out there in the Mediterranean named after him, and he was a great family man. Wow. Donald Cook was his name? That's correct. Uh, Prisoner of War. Great story. I... uh, only wish they could report it more. But there's also a book out, too, uh, Greg. 
And uh, I thank you for your service. All right. Thanks, Larry. Thanks so much. And uh, interesting. Donald Cook. Uh, let's remember him. And I'll be right back. Greg Kelly. Entertaining and informative. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, that big book event in uh, Florida was really nice. Uh, ooh, getting some reports, though. Somebody went to Barnes & Noble and couldn't find my book. Uh, you can ask, and they'll bring it to you. Uh, they'll they'll order it for you if they're reputable, and I'm, they are. They surely are. I was in a bookstore in Florida and uh, with uh, no announcement, and I saw my book on the on the shelf. It's called Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement, and oh boy, are they ever. But they're they're wrong in a new and bold and scary way. Hey, it's that uh, that game showy guy at the White House, uh, Kirby. He's talking about whenever it's really, really serious stuff, they bring in this guy because Karine Jean-Pierre can't handle it. Let me hear what he's saying right now, please. This is a press briefing. They know how to use them. They know how to keep them running. Um, and they've got the supply chain in place for spare parts and supplies and anything else they need um, so that uh, they can be more effective on the battlefield. And given the process, what's the soonest the Abrams could get there? The uh, the Pentagon, I think, talked about this uh, earlier today. There, there's no date certain on the calendar. But I think what we're looking at is what's probably going to be many months before they're actually there. Thank you. Um, many months. Josh, so to your point <laughs> about longer-term planning and absorption. Stop. All right. I can't hear what she's saying. The tanks are going to take many months. Is that what they said? I thought 30, uh, 30. I don't know. I don't know if this is really all that significant. And do you tell? do you tell them? Do you tell the world that you're sending a new weapon system into the battlefield? Hello, everybody. We're sending tanks. I mean, doesn't that kind of like, okay, if I were running the Russian military, I think there are things I could do to counteract that. I don't know. By the way, it's raining really, uh, really intensely. It was kind of snowing a moment ago, but no, no, it's raining. And I, I see it's going to rain all night long. Uh, oh, I've been getting, I've been getting reports. Yeah, this, uh. Oh, Newsmax, you know, we're having this problem with DirecTV. What is up with DirecTV? You know, all these places, they're uh, they're trying to take out conservative media, deplatforming conservative media. They did it to OAN, DirecTV, and now they're messing with Newsmax? Give me a break. Now, fortunately, we've got some really good uh, members of Congress on our side um, who are fighting this, and they're demanding that AT&T give them answers as to what the hell they're doing. So is it true? Tony, you're calling from Center Reach, Long Island. You uh, don't have it anymore? You don't have – no, not that Tony, but I'll get back to you, Tony. I'm talking about the Tony on Long Island. Hi, Tony. Yeah, yeah. Greg? Yeah. Yeah. I had – it got – I lost it at 12 o'clock last night. You know, I I had Newsmax on earlier that evening, and then I read what might happen, and it happened – what can be who, who? First of all, who owns a, AT&T? Uh, I think the stockholders. I think uh, the stockholders and some of those guys. Look, uh, I want you can go to I want dot com. Go to our I website. Did I did that. I called direct TV myself just to form a complaint. You know, I, I told the one who answered the phone, of course, I said, look, you have nothing to do with it. But I just want to tell you, I think it's wrong. And, and, and you're trying to silence people who want to talk truth. You know, and I, I put in my, you know, I said what I said. And she said a lot of people are calling. Uh, Tony, you know what? I so appreciate it. Thank you very much for doing that. And uh, we'll see what happens. And uh, maybe maybe, maybe they'll change their minds. And maybe they'll do the right thing. We'll see. Thank you, Tony. And I'll be back. Greg Kelly. Entertaining and informative. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, 
this is me. All right. <clears throat> so the FBI has collected all those documents from Vice President Mike Pence. Now it's snowing. Oh, my gosh. Good big gobs of snow coming down. Although the ground is totally wet, so it's not going to stick. It's not going to accumulate. This is a... Uh, what do we call it? It's not hail. It's uh, sleet, right? This is sleet. I think it's sleet. Um, mm, pretty much done with Pence. I always have been. Um, never impressed. Always holding his nose around Donald Trump. Always playing footsie with the left, right? Mm, not to be trusted. I wish he had picked somebody cool. I guess at the time Trump had to pick him. For whatever reason, he had to assure the conservatives. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why he picked Pence. The days of picking a running mate to help you win a state, those are over. And can somebody tell Mike Pompeo to give it up already? I mean, uh, sorry, it's not going to happen. I saw him on Fox News just a little while ago. He's wearing a dark suit, white shirt, um, uh, pink tie. It's okay. You can wear a pink tie. And he's wearing the most goofy, garish socks in the world. You know those guys who try to make a fashion statement with their socks? It's A man, there's an old commercial for socks. A man should think about his socks twice a day and only twice a day. When he puts them on and when he takes them off. Got to watch out for these guys who, hey, have you seen my socks? And they have some sort of design on it or, you know, uh, seals balancing balls or just something. It's just dumb. And there it is, really front and center, because he's sitting at that, you know, the panel show that they have at lunchtime, and it's a bunch of women and one guy in the middle, and uh, they call it outnumbered, and Mike Pence is the guy in the hot seat, because he's the dude, and anyway, I guess he has a book coming up. Uh, I do like to get these books. I like to debunk them. I like to debunk them. I like to find things in them and uh, find things that are wrong and I just, uh, 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 I, I granted people could do that to my book. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's, there's only one mistake in there, actually. There is one mistake, but uh, uh, we won't talk about that right now. Listen to what the Democrats are saying about Joe Biden. Democrats are saying this about Joe Biden right now. Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia. It couldn't get any worse. That's about the document situation, okay? I think it is going to get worse. Uh, Mark Kelly, Democrat of Arizona. I don't think any classified document should be at somebody's house. All right. And then John Tester, Democrat of Montana. We have to get to the bottom of it to find out what the hell happened. <laughs> uh, this is trouble. This is trouble for Joe. And it couldn't be happening to a nicer guy. Uh, what will happen? Well, they're trying to change the subject right now by giving all these tanks to uh, Ukraine. Don't forget, we wouldn't have to send tanks. We wouldn't have to. We, Ukraine would not be at war if Donald Trump were still president. And oh, by the way, we would have won in Afghanistan, not being chased out. It's not just me. 68% of the American people agree with me about um, Ukraine. Joe Biden, and I'll, I'll remind everybody tonight, gave a green light to Vladimir Putin. He gave a green light to Vladimir Putin. Well, my guess is he's got to do something. He's got to do something. That's what he said on the eve of war. He said, well, my guess is he's going to invade. He's got to do something at this point. How's that for a red line, huh? Now, what happened is Putin took a good look. Isn't it amazing? Putin has wanted to take over um, uh, Crimea 
take over Ukraine for I mean, when did Putin become president? Like 1999. All right. That's a long time ago. And he wanted it his whole life. He thinks that Ukraine should be part of Russia, the Soviet Union. You know, that's where he that's where he made his bones. Initially, that's where he became a big shot. Um, Vladimir Putin working for the party. He's a communist, this guy. And he always wanted Ukraine. I guess Ukraine broke off, what, in the early 90s? And that was such an affront to people like uh, Vladimir Putin. And all these years, all these years go by, and this is when he chooses to invade. At this moment, during the Joe Biden presidency, he took a look at Joe and he said, I can take this Yankee. This is a silly Yankee. And also, I do believe... I know, actually. I know it in my bones, and I know it in my head. And there's enough evidence out there. Read the Senate report on Joe Biden and Hunter, all right? And Valeria Butinia, whatever her name is, the, uh, the wife of the mayor of Moscow, and the $3.5 million wired to Hunter. Um, what else about that? Uh, you know, the Burisma job. I mean, it's staring us right in the face. Right in the face. He's compromised. Do we expect him to be neutral on this matter, on this affair of Russia versus Ukraine? I don't know about the underlying tensions between Ukraine and Russia. I don't. I got other things to worry about. I know, I know, I know, I know this bothers some people. But big countries have been invading little countries since the establishment of countries. And this is not the only war going on in the the world right now. Let me see how many active wars there are right now. There are probably about 40. Isn't that kind of crazy? Uh, There are a lot more wars than you might think. Wars are there right now. And the answer is 27. (laughs) According to the Council on Foreign Relations Global Conflict Tracker, there are currently 27 ongoing armed conflicts worldwide. Isn't that pretty wild? I notice that we only occasionally get worried about Ukraine these days, right? They know how to turn it on and turn it off. What is it? Very interesting, don't you think? I'm looking at an Abrams tank. What the hell is that thing? What is that thing? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. It was camouflaged. They had a bunch of tanks on a raft, and it was camouflaged. Sorry, all the TVs are on right now. John Kirby is still speaking to the press. Is he making matters worse or better? Go ahead. Uh, Particular uh, challenges of the Abrams, which there's still those challenges still exist. I mean, it is still going to require a a unique supply chain and and maintenance requirements and jet fuel. I mean, all that stuff is still valid. We've been very honest about that. The decision today was the result of, of many, many discussions with the Germans as well as our allies and partners about what Ukraine is going to need going forward, and how we can all best address that. Zelensky could use a shirt and a tie the next time he comes to America. All right? Number one. Look, I want the Ukrainians to win. I, yeah, I do. At some point, though, you know, we're going to bankrupt ourselves. We're, our military needs help right now. Our military is bleeding. And yeah, once again, I'll say it. There's conflict all over the world right now, all over the world. And some of the the tracker categorizes conflict into three groups, worsening, unchanging, or improving. Right now, there's not a single conflict described as improving. 
Of those worsening are the conflict in Ukraine, the war in Afghanistan, political instability in Lebanon, the war in Yemen, uh, the Rohingya, I don't even know what that is, crisis in Myanmar. Okay, now I know, I know a little bit about that. The conflict in Ethiopia. Globally, conflict and violence are on the rise, according to the United Nations. The U.N. has warned that peace is more under threat around the world than it has been since World War II. Two billion people currently live in conflict-affected areas. A quarter of the entire global population lives in conflict-affected areas. Some of the worst affected areas are Ethiopia's Tigray region, South Sudan, Syria, Yemen, and Afghanistan. According to the U.N., last year, 84 million people were forcibly displaced because of conflict, violence, and human rights violations. This year, it is estimated that at least 274 million people will need humanitarian assistance. Children in Yemen are so hungry, they're eating their own hands. What? For years, Yemen has been locked in a bloody civil war between the Saudi-supported government forces and the Houthi fighters backed by Iran. Nearly a quarter of a million people have been killed, but many more have been pushed to the brink of starvation. Children are paying the heaviest price. Four-year-old Mashal even gnawed his own fingers because he was so hungry. One child dies every 10 minutes in Yemen, according to the U.N.'s report from August of 2021. Over 13 million Syrians have been forcibly displaced since the war began, nearly 11 years after it started. A thanks a lot, Obama, by the way. The Syrian refugee crisis remains the largest displacement crisis worldwide. 13.2 million, including 6.6 million refugees and more than 6 million internally displaced people. At least 2 million people are living in tented camps with limited access to basic services. The beginning of the war in Syria dates back to the Arab Spring, a series of anti-authoritarian protests, uprising, and rebellions that spread across several Middle Eastern countries in the early 2010s. The people of Syria raised their voices to demand reform, but Syrian President Bashar al-Assad cracked down on dissent and made it clear democratic rule wasn't part of his plan. By the way, did you know that guy was a trained dentist? He is. When thousands more took to the streets, the army answered by opening fire against the demonstrators. After that, small factions of armed rebels began to appear and have been trying to topple the government ever since. To this day, the government and rebels remain mired in a full-scale civil war. Man, there's a lot of stuff going on. But let's get those tanks to, uh, to Ukraine. Because after all, Hunter, um, you know, Hunter was treated very well by the Ukrainians. Couldn't that have something to do with it? $83,000 a month, and we got to give them tanks? I don't know. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So uh, at the White House, they just had the guy, the Kirby individual. He's the guy who's pretty proficient at his job. Spinning, lying, you know, all that stuff, but he does it with grace. Now they got Corrine Jean-Pierre back at the podium. Let's see what's happening, please. Partisan piece of legislation, and he is committed uh, to really uh, tackling climate change by uh, making sure we're moving forward. Uh, one of the processes is making sure that we're moving with electric vehicles. I don't have anything specific to, to, to say about this particular action that uh, the senator is making. One last thing. Any updates on when Speaker McCarthy may be coming to visit? That, so as you know, on, the president it. I thought there was a, the documents. Hit him with the documents, for crying out loud. Anything in yet. This guy, oh well. 
Turn we it off. That's good. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Um, one of the reasons why Joe is hoarding these documents, it is believed, is because he had to give Hunter uh, something of value to share with the Ukrainians. Maybe not the documents themselves, but the knowledge in those documents. I mean, Hunter presents. You make eighty three thousand dollars a month. You, you don't get that just for being like a trophy. They're going to want stuff out of you. You got to deliver. Access to the old man, access to government secrets, access. Some of these documents, you know, they pertain to uh, Ukraine. And here's a dangerous thing about Joe Biden. All right, dangerous thing. He always bragged about being poor. The poorest man in the United States Senate, right? That sounds very, that sounds very, uh, what is that, wholesome? That sounds very righteous somehow, right? Not having much money. But Joe thought he deserved a lot of money. He said it in 1974, for the magnitude of the work we are doing, we should have a, a salary commensurate with our responsibility. And listen to the level of responsibility they have. And, 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 and in some ways, they do have a lot of responsibility. They spend our money, a lot of it. Cut 37, please. We might borrow as much as $100 billion. Cumulatively of over $250 billion. It provides $10 billion for grants. We added back in about $60 billion worth of money. By eliminating $1.6 billion. Let's take 2.5. That's $250 billion. That last guy was Joe Biden, okay? Uh, you know, if you worked at Goldman Sachs and there was a... Uh, a deal that entailed a $250 billion transfer. How much money would Goldman make on that, right? Uh, what is 10% of $250 billion? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> is it $250 million? I think it is, right? Uh, $250 billion. 10%. No, that's $2.5 billion. No, that's only 1%. I don't know what it is. $25 billion? It's $25 billion. Yeah. Did I figure it out right? Yeah. $25 billion is 10% of $250 billion, right? Anyway, Joe thinks he's entitled to more money because of all the how big his job has been. But is limited to a, you know, a buck fifty salary. And that's where. The family comes in. Cut 38. Joe's brother, Frank, noticed that he's a non-lawyer. Listen closely. Frank Biden, non-lawyer, doing a commercial for a law firm. Cut 38. I'm Frank Biden. I'm the non-attorney senior advisor to clients statewide who need diversified business solutions through the Berman Law Group. I'm available for consultation with attorney Teddy Berman in any of our offices statewide. What for? <laughs> then what? What are you going to do? You don't. You're not a lawyer. Why? Why would you be in the commercial? Yeah, you get it. All right. Did I get that right? Is ten, yeah, two hundred fifty billion. Ten percent is twenty five billion. So five percent is um twelve and a half billion. Um, um, two and a half percent is six billion something. Right? It's crazy. It, He's greedy. And you can tell by his clothes. You can tell by his clothes. He wears the best clothes, but he's always tugging at him. He's very, he's very self-conscious about his outfit. 
let's face it, Donald Trump, he's got very expensive clothes, too. But he doesn't take excessive pride in it. He's always like, you know, he dresses like we do in a weird way. You know, I know it's a, I think it's Brioni. Is that his brand? He wears Brioni suits, which cost like $15,000. But he's not a clothes horse. He doesn't make a big deal. He's not a peacock. Joe Biden's a peacock, and he knows, they've been saying this about him a long time. He dresses rich, and he always thought he should be rich. Now he is rich. He was rich in the 1970s when he bought the DuPont Mansion as a 33-year-old guy. Huh? How does that happen? A 33-year-old guy with no money? Poorest man in the Senate is living in the DuPont Mansion? He's dirty. He's erratic. He's weird. And he's on his way out. Give me a moment, please. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's really funny. Adam Schiff just kicked off the intelligence community, uh, the committee, uh, by Mr. McCarthy, the speaker, who, by the way, is kicking ass. I like him. You know, sometimes a man meets the moment, you know, or has so much potential, but it's never the right job, never right the right fit. Then, And then he gets the job he was born for, and I'm seeing some really great stuff out of uh, Speaker McCarthy. Anyway, kicking off the committee, the Intelligence Committee, which is a very sensitive committee. I mean, my goodness gracious, all of our nation's secrets. These guys get access to everything. And Adam Schiff, after all the lying and all the harm he did, certainly doesn't deserve to be on that committee. And Eric Swalwell, why are they always pushing that guy? Why did, what is it? It's arrogance in the Democrats' part. The guy got caught with a Chinese spy, Fang Fang. And, you know, I understand that uh, Eric Swalwell might have been targeted. He might have been a victim of a of an esp- espionage campaign. And it wasn't necessarily, I don't, I'm not saying that he was in cahoots with the Chinese, but I'm sorry, after something like that goes down, you don't get to be on the intelligence committee, at least for, say, I, I don't know, five years. What if Fang Fang left some listening devices somewhere? It's possible. It is possible. Eric Swalwell and Shifty Schiff, they're gone off the Intelligence Committee, and they're whining and complaining, and the fake news is helping. Well, you put George Santos on a committee. Hey, stop screwing around with George Santos. He's paid a big enough price. He was voted into office. Remember, I have not seen any lie that he has told that is nearly as serious as the lies that Joe Biden has told, Senator Blumenthal has told, you know, the Stolen Valor guy. I was in Vietnam when I wasn't. United States Senator. He says that out loud and, and the fake news gives him a pass. Are you kidding me? Hey, here's an item, if you don't mind, just for a moment. Then your calls. North Carolina man, once obese, inspired by Navy SEAL to quit drinking, got fit and radically altered his life. His name is Taylor Robinson. He's 27 years old, and I'm looking at the before picture, and he's pretty beefy. He's pretty, you know, he's, looks like a lot of people I know. Uh, I've been like that before. Well, not quite like that. Apparently, he was over 300 pounds. I've never been that heavy, but I've been pretty big. 225, I think, was my peak. A man who dropped over 100 pounds in less than a year now wants to motivate others to change their lives while striving to reach even higher for himself. 
Taylor Robinson, 27 years old, of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, tipped the scales at well over 300 pounds in October of 2021 when he decided to make changes in his life. The first thing on his list, he quit drinking. I drank for probably six years straight, Robinson told Fox News Digital in a phone interview. He said he drank a bottle of liquor a day to the point where he started making bad decisions. Yeah, I would think so. With the help of his fiancée, Robertson got sober and immediately dropped about 30 pounds without exercising. Inspired by this weight loss, Robertson turned to YouTube for diet and exercise. And you know what? YouTube is a treasure trove. If you want to learn anything, it's there on YouTube. I just started drawing. I used to. I haven't drawn since I was in second grade, and now I'm drawing again. It's fun. And they got these little lessons. I don't care if it's not as good as anybody else's. I'm getting better every day. If you go to my Twitter, by the way, I got uh, some little sketches. I, I sketched a space capsule and a dog, and I'm very proud of them. Okay, back to this uh, guy. He found that eating one large meal a day of chicken and rice worked well with his lifestyle. Huh, one large meal a day. I've heard of this a lot. And he ate chicken and rice. He also began to work toward exercising more. In nine months, Robertson lost 130 pounds. Robertson credited his tendency to make things extreme for his success in transforming himself and for how he got so heavy and unfit in the first place. When I was drinking, I took that to the extreme. I want to change my life, and I took that to the extreme as well, so I started running. He started looking at this ex-Navy SEAL named Goggins, who I've actually met before, uh, who's got a lot of motivational videos and instructional videos. I guess we were both having a bad day when we met each other. I We did not get all, get along very well. But Goggins looks like he's a real force for good in the world. He lost 300. He was over 300 pounds himself, according to his website. Anyway, congratulations to this guy, uh, Taylor, in North Carolina. That's good news. Marianne in Philadelphia, welcome back. Hey, was that you? Was that you with the tapping of the feet? Did you watch my show? Yes, I did. <laughs> what, yeah. what did you think? Were you proud? I got that from you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I also uh, noticed that if you take that tape of David Muir and run it out, you'll see whenever he asks him a question about January 6th, his leg actually starts bouncing. It gets worse. Well, all right. Listen, I showed that it was bouncing like crazy about the intelligence documents. So I will... uh yeah, I never sat down and watched the entire interview. I, uh, You know, they got these different versions that they show people. Anyway, I circled his foot. It's jumping up and down. And let's just play. I know you can't see it in this video. Oh, and I haven't showed you where, uh, where is the Mike Pence thing? Okay, Mike Pence, listen to the stutter. And remember, he's moving his head. He's saying no, but he's moving his head, nodding yes. Cut 23. Did you take any classified documents with you from the White House? Uh. I, I did not. <laughs> uh, I, I did not. That didn't sound very convincing. Anyway, uh, I thank you, Marianne. I get some great tips from the viewers, from the listeners, and I'm very, uh, very appreciative. Thank you. All right. All right, then. Uh, Barbara. Oh, speaking of tips, uh, Barbara, our constitutional scholar on Long Island. How are you? I'm very, very well, although I'm in Florida right now. Um, but as you were talking about what's going on in the world and all the conflicts, it reminded me of Daniel Webster's quote, 
which said, hold on to the American Constitution, because if it should fail, there will be anarchy throughout the world. And every day in your show, during the day and at night, you show different examples of our Constitution being destroyed, being misused, being abused. And the latest is with Newsmax going to lose this platform. How can people make decisions as our founders intended us to with full knowledge when that knowledge is compromised and limited? Well, uh, thanks. Yeah, Newsmax right now, we were deplatformed by DirecTV, and uh, we feel like we're being censored. And obviously, we don't like it. Now, we're putting up a fight, and we're asking for your help. You can go to IWantNewsmax.com, uh, IWantNewsmax.com, or go to the Newsmax website. Um, you can go to my Twitter. I got a big article about it there. Um, we don't like the way we're being treated. We think we're being uh, censored, like other conservative networks have been censored. OAN, for one, they were kicked off a lot of platforms, so they're coming after us now. Uh, negotiations are still underway, so there may, you know, we may be able to rectify this. And I really hope so. Hey, by the way, it's in DirecTV's uh, interests. <laughs> uh, a lot of people who like the show, by the way, who like Newsbacks, that like my show. Hey, tell me who Daniel Webster was exactly. It's a name. I know it's a name from uh, history, but uh, what did he do exactly? He was an American lawyer and a statesman. He was elected to Congress. He always defended the Constitution. And he also defended property. And I found this very interesting. He said... Power follows property, so property must remain diffused so that equality will remain diffused. So what do we have now? People going after the middle class and going after our right to own our own homes, to live where we want, to own our own car, not to have to take public transportation, et cetera, et cetera. He said property is, re- is followed by power. All right, wait, let me just, power is, property is followed by power, or power is followed by, and he wanted it, he wanted it, he wanted property diffused, is that what you said? He wanted property diffused, he wanted people to own property, which is what the Constitution was all about, to let each person succeed to their abilities, and the ownership of property was an important part of that. When the, when the founders were first talking about the Constitution and the wording of it, instead of it being the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it was originally the rights to life, liberty, and property, and the means to defend it. Um, wow. Daniel Webster sounds like a great guy. And who do we have? Yes. Who do we, <laughs> where is it, Daniel Webster now? Who do we have running the show? We opened 77 emergency <laughs> hotels for Hercs This is during what we crisis. got. This we is, are in a crisis. Right, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Uh, Barbara, you know what happened to these giants? Why were there so many great people in previous centuries and such a dearth of them now? Hmm? Because they were educated. They were educated and they were moral human beings. And that is the difference now. We haven't educated properly for generations about the founding of our country, about the morals that it was founded on. Well, let me ask you something. This let me let's say the founding that our founding fathers couldn't have been educated on our founding. So what were they educated about? No, they were educated on the history of their forefathers. They knew from the history of generations before them 
going back to the Romans and the Greeks, they were well-educated, and, and so were their wives, many of the founding mothers also. And they understood, for example, that when government steps into the church, that there is always tyranny and there is always bloodshed and revolt. How about this? Our culture kind of uh, went off the rails. And it's interesting. We were talking to Bill O'Reilly about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Elvis Presley, you know, hey, who doesn't love Elvis, right? Nothing personal against Elvis, but Elvis goes on that Ed Sullivan show, and overnight everything changes. Uh, Conformity, uh, actually I would say, you know, the values of the country, everything was kind of in upheaval after that. Everything started to change. And all those uh, square preachers, you know, who frowned upon uh, the dancing and all that stuff and the rock music, maybe they were more right than wrong. Because our secular society, I mean, you know what it encourages. You know what it tolerates. It tolerates immoral behavior. I mean, believe me, I know. (laughs) You know, I mean, I was a single for a long time. And and if you do what the culture says you're supposed to or can do, you can do a lot of things that aren't good for anybody, especially yourself. So our culture, they had nothing like our culture now back then. Is that is that to blame a little bit, Barbara? Well, you know what? Before Elvis Presley, long before Elvis Presley, the roots were planted, the seeds were planted of what was there ready then for him and that what, what was ready in the 60s for the rebellion against the government over the Vietnam War, for the rebellion against every authority figure. Now you also at the same time have the introduction of birth control pills. And those hit the campuses with as big an impact as did the protests against the Vietnam War. But these fields had been tilled and prepared for this a long time before. It goes back to the late 1800s, the early 1900s, with the works of communists like Gramsci, who started slowly infiltrating our universities, our institutions, our media, entertainment, etc., What's his name again? Gramsci, Antonio Gramsci. Never heard of the guy. Never heard of him. Well, if you talk to Hillary Clinton or you talked to people like her, if you talk to Obama, they know who he is. They know who he is because they can trace. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Joe Biden does not know who he is. (laughs) Right, Barbara? Sorry, but I'm so sorry, but Joe Biden hardly knows how he is. I know. And it makes me sad seeing him bumble and fumble and mumble and try to explain his way out of something that I'm sure he doesn't understand or remember. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. I don't think we're going to have to uh, watch this sad spectacle for much longer. He's going to be removed. He's going to have to resign. Something's going to happen. Impeached, whatever. It just can't go on for much longer. Barbara, what will we do without you? I thank you so much, and we'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, I'm reading a really nice book. It's uh, I Am the Central Park Jogger by Trisha Miley. She was the Central Park Jogger. She revealed her identity like in 2002, 2003 or so. Um, I had a friend in the news business and I wasn't. I was in college in 1989 who found out her name. And and I remember when he told me the name, 
Uh, nobody was publicizing it except for one, the Amsterdam News. <laughs> they published it. Anyway, uh, she was brutally attacked, obviously. And um, I'm reading it because I'm fascinated by the case. And I wanted to hear her story. And she, I'm reading, I'm listening to it online on, on the audio version. It's very nice. I like her. I think she's seems like a really nice person and a very interesting story. Um, I want to read everything I can about that because I'm, I'm, I'm really mad that some people were unfairly canceled. Linda Fairstein, Elizabeth Letterer, the lawyers involved in that case, and others, and this false idea that those five, the so-called Central Park Five, were exonerated. Anybody who says that, and that's basically everybody in the fake news, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And they don't know the first thing about that case. Everything they say about it is wrong, including the word exonerated. There's a big difference from a verdict being vacated to an exoneration. This is not an exoneration. And oh, by the way, well, wait a second, DNA evidence... uh, concluded uh, that it was the, they had the wrong people. No, it never did that. Not at all. Actually, they knew about the, the DNA evidence wasn't new. They knew about it back in 1989. They knew there was another attacker they did not have. It's all documented. And by the way, those confessions, <laughs> anybody who says that they were forced or coerced has not seen the confessions. I have sat through and listened to it. I mean, their parents are sitting in the room for God. They're not coerced. And the level of detail. Anyway, um, what was I going to say about that? Uh, I forgot. Uh, it seems to me pretty. Oh, the Mateus thing, the new piece of evidence. The only new piece of evidence was his confession. He, This guy confesses. That's it. Uh, and they believe him. He's a maniac in jail. And he said, I did it by myself. Okay, thank you very much. Here's $50 million for the Central Park Five. That's it. They didn't bring him to court. They didn't swear him in. They didn't cross-examine the guy. And then the fake news tells me, well, Mateus Reyes was a known serial rapist who only worked alone. Something else that's wrong. He only worked alone, huh? What about the time he raped his mother? He did that with his friend. It's the kind of guy he is. But we're going to take his story, right? And he's just going to, and we're going to cancel the lives of good women who protected and defended other women for decades and decades and decades. So I'm just going through this book. Uh, she hasn't weighed in on any of that stuff. Uh, it was written a long time ago, 2002, 2003. She kind of hints at, you know, some of the new information. But I'm not done with the book yet. I'm enjoying it very much. And it's interesting that she's, you know, owning it, you know, telling her story. And it's helpful. Somehow I'm finding it helpful and kind of inspiring. I don't know why, but it is. Trisha Miley, the name of the book is I Am the Central Park Jogger. Uh, Our remaining time, let's see, is brief. I got to go across the street for the Newsmax show. Uh, Dan in Long Island, yes, sir. Hello, Greg. I was, uh, I'm on your side about Mike Pence, and I was wondering, because I think he was uh, sucked into the swamp um, and he proved it on January 6th. 
But do you think they, the swamp is using him to run interference for Joe Biden? Saying, they're going to say now that, look, oh, it's no big deal. Mike Pence even had classified documents, and he's, uh, and he's Donald Trump's guy. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, kind of happening. It's already happening. It seems to be designed to mitigate the offenses of Joe Biden. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Joe is in trouble for this and a lot of other things. But, yeah, I think it is. Uh, it's part of that. Part of that. Anything else about Penn, Stan? Well, I got something else for you. A couple of weeks ago, I tried to get to you uh, about your oath you took when you joined the military. And everybody else who joins the military swears an oath to um, defend the Constitution against foreign and domestic enemies. All who, enemies, who foreign and domestic. Uh, it who, varies. Who not every, What? Who decides who the who the who the uh, the domestic enemy is? Who who makes that decision? Well, when you take the oath of office, it does say in there that you will obey the orders of the officers and those appointed above you. All right, so that's a decision uh, made by you know the, what we call the national command authority. Uh, and sometimes, believe it or not, I saw like soldiers and lieutenants and you know enlisted and and junior officers run around. In a weird way, they were talking about the Constitution too much. It's like, it's like you're not Alan Dershowitz, okay? It's not your job to evaluate the uh, Constitution. It's your job to obey your boss, okay? And do your job as effectively as you can. Sometimes there's a little bit too much um, wiggle room that they thought they had. Anyway, listen, I got to run. Thank you very much. Sorry we're out of time. To be continued tonight at 7 on Newsmax. And get it together, DirecTV. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative. On the Red Apple Podcast Network.